reading is taken from John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. It's on page 1081 of the Church Bible. John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, not everyone was clean. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Isn't it wonderful to gather together and worship God? I'm sure I won't be alone in saying this. I love coming to church. I love gathering with the people of God and praising him. I love spending time in scripture. I love spending time praying with other believers. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that. I'm sure there are many of us in this room who would say that. As I was here this morning listening to George preach from the same passage, I sat there with a friend of mine and I, this phrase came to me. It's a really familiar phrase, but it summarizes where we find ourselves or find the disciples at the beginning of this passage. I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. I'm glad a few people laughed at that. 
I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. If I were to try and summarize just where the disciples are right now, if I wanted to try and capture the thoughts and deeds of what's going on here, that would be it. And perhaps for you, this passage conjures up other images or other thoughts. I remember years ago, I was asked to lead a few sessions for an intern's Bible week. And I said in advance of uh, my last session, could you all come prepared with a towel, please? And they looked at me and they went, no. For some of us, we, we might look at this and think, well, feet washing, what? That doesn't actually come into our culture anymore. For a starter, we have socks. We don't need this. But as with many things that Jesus does, there is a greater meaning to it. There is a greater depth. There is a theological significance. And this event is foreshadowing what is to come. If we were in an English literature lesson looking at Shakespeare and treating this the same way, foreshadowing would be one of the key things that we pick out. It is about what comes next. If you've not read it, spoiler alert, Jesus dies. Thankfully, he also comes back to life, defeating death and sin, so that anyone who comes to him can be free of those as well. And that is of stunning significance to our passage. We know that this is part of the end for Jesus because of the way the writer writes it. Just before the Passover uh, festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. The idea of the hour coming has been a constant theme throughout John's Gospel. And earlier on in it, you'll find moments where things don't happen because the hour is not right. It is important that we understand the hour has come and the first thing that happens when the hour has come is Jesus gets down and washes his disciples' feet. It's the timing here because Jesus is preparing the disciples for him leaving them. He's no longer going to be with them day to day as they have been. He is not going to be physically present with them. The passage for us today prepares us for life without physically having Jesus with us. And it challenges us that we would understand the love that we are shown and how undeserved it is. And I'm always struck in John's gospel of why he's writing it and how he's writing it. Some considerable time after the events, 50 to 60 years perhaps afterwards. And John is sat there recalling this as vital. This is what people need to know about the ministry of Jesus. And so he sets out the story, continuing on in verse 2 and 3. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. In all of these things, Jesus knows what is going to happen next. He knows which of the disciples is going to leave the meal 
and turn him over to the Jewish authorities. He knows what is going to happen. So it is a complete scandal that not only Jesus' actions of washing the feet are so underneath him, but that he does this for Judas, that he does this to the one who does not deserve it. He does this for the one who deserves it least, the one who is going to betray him. So an author called R.T. Kendall. I bought this book years ago because I liked the title. It's called The Scandal of Christianity. And he talks about this idea of grace, that love is given to us completely undeservedly, and it shocks people. And that scandal, that graciousness, should always have a sense about it, perhaps it being unfair. I wonder what John thought of this as he wrote it. I can't believe that Jesus knew Jesus was going to betray him, and he still did what he did next. We need to hold that in our thoughts as we go through the next bit, because we come back to it by verse 11. Here's what we're trying to spell out. Here's what Simon's alluded to as well. Verse 4 to 5, Jesus gets up and he does something. Now, picture this scene for a moment. A meal with friends. Possibly one of celebration. On the way to it, earlier on in the gospel, we hear that the disciples are arguing over who is the best. And turning up to this meal, what would have happened is uh, they'd have gone to the places they're staying and they'd have washed themselves. If I go to a friend's house, I generally try and make sure I don't smell before I arrive because it's a bit embarrassing if I realize afterwards. In this hot climate, they would then walk to wherever they're going for the evening and the only thing that would still be dirty would be their feet. If you've ever visited a hot country and worn flip-flops for an entire day, you'll know the feeling of all of that grit between your toes and the sweat that's developed. So they've turned up, and we assume then there are no servants present. Nobody is around to do what would normally be done and wash their feet. No one's around to show this hospitality. Perhaps there's a bit of chat about it, a bit of, oh, we... We should have thought of that. Well, okay, no, none of us is going to do it. And you can imagine then the absolute horror on the faces of those there as they watch Jesus get up from the meal and take on the clothing of a servant. Now, as was mentioned earlier, this wouldn't have even been done by a... Jewish servant. This would have been reserved for a Gentile servant. This is how humiliating it should have been. And that silence that ensues as they're gobsmacked at what's happening. If this were retold in a modern-day comedy, it would be one of those really awkward ones that sit there and make you cringe, that make you move in your seat and go, oh, this feels really uncomfortable. If it were a drama series, this would be that moment where you just can't believe it's happening. Stunned silence. 
Now, to further our understanding of what's going on here, foot washing wouldn't always have been carried out by a servant. At times, it is an act of huge devotion from a wife to her husband or from children to their father. So Jesus doing this as the teacher amongst the disciples, as the master amongst those who follow him, is completely upside down from where it should be. It's scandalous. It's the sort of thing that would spread around the neighborhood. Did you hear about so-and-so? In our modern society, people would be talking about it at the school gates or on the bus. Did you hear about this? I can't believe he did that. Jesus is showing love and devotion to his disciples. And vitally, he's showing that same love and devotion to Judas, who he knows will reject him. Jesus will never give up on you. He has that same love and devotion for you as well. As we move on through the text, there are three reactions we get to seeing Jesus' love and devotion. One of them is made really explicit in the text, but the first is this. It's that stunned silence and awkwardness. The second, we know that from this meal, Judas will go off. I can imagine him being sat there going, this is why. This is why I can't get on board with this. This is why I'm annoyed that I've spent three years of my life following him. This is why I no longer believe that Jesus is the Messiah. This is why I don't think this works. We have to accept that love shown to us. We have to accept it. If we're going to replicate it, if we're going to live through it and see that in our own lives. But John gives us the third reaction, Peter's reaction. Verses 6 to 8, we hear that sense of indignation in that. I can imagine Simon Peter at this point breaking the silence, that awkward silence that's captured everything in the room. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? That awkwardness. And then he turns around and like the interns for me years ago, no. To begin with, Simon Peter refuses to allow Jesus to show him this same act of love and devotion he's shown to the others. Peter does not understand what is going on. He has to accept Jesus showing this love and devotion to him as well. Ironically, we can also imagine that Simon Peter is doing this out of a sense of, I am the best disciple. And Jesus deals with this by challenging him to to accept it. Unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Unless Unless you accept my love, how can I be in your life? And so he turns around and says, well, wash all of me then. I I need all of you. And again, he's missed the point, but what a reaction to have. 
if we're struggling with the concept of God's love for us, of the love that Jesus showed to us by dying on a cross, that we could be free from sin. We need to turn around and say, come and wash over all of me. Come and take me. And in Jesus' response, around verse 10 now, if you're still following in the Bible, those who've had a bath do not need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. He's using the custom of the day to teach about his love. So the custom of the day, people would have washed before they went to dinner and then washed their feet at dinner. You were clean. Peter has already accepted Jesus as the Messiah. He's declared it previously. Truly you are the Messiah. You are the Lord. You are the Savior. But he still needs that regular coming back to God, that asking for forgiveness daily, the practices that we will see in our church life, the breaking of bread, remembering what's given to us. And Jesus says, well, not everyone has accepted this. At one point, Judas believed Jesus was the Messiah. And perhaps he still did when he betrayed him. But he thought the way that God worked wasn't the correct one. He bought into the ways of the world. He was looking for a conqueror to overthrow the Roman occupation and reestablish the kingdom of Judea. And instead he got this man from humble origins who stunned the world with his teachings and miraculous signs who would happily get up from a meal, take on the garments of the servant, servant, and do the most humiliating act to show his love for his followers, to show his devotion to them. Jesus summarizes this teaching. He knows he's going to leave them. He knows that they need to understand this. He explains the example that's given. He calls out those who are there as not being willing. Of saying, I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. From this point, 11 of those 12 disciples will do anything for love, including that. They will go forward from after Jesus' death, after the time he ascends to heaven... And they go forward spreading the good news of Christ, giving their lives for it as well. They do everything for the love of God, including that. It might be that we at times really struggle to grasp what it is God's done for us. It might be at times we really struggle to see the evidence of that in our lives as well. For me, I know that every time I sit there and think about my reactions to situations and I ask myself, what am I being as loving as God has called me to be? The image I always come back to is the cross. And I sit there 
and I think about what has gone on at that place. And I see love poured out. When I started doing youth work as a teenager, one of the banners we had that we would put up for club nights was of a, uh, it was a black uh, hill with a white background and a cross on it. And it just had a gigantic speech bubble. Actions speak louder than words. And that's one of the things that has stayed with me. But the thing is, for some of us, we find that still a mystery. Or we don't grasp enough of it for that to be helpful. As I prepared for this sermon, I thought about times in my life where I've really grasped something changing in me. Or I've looked back on and gone, actually, that's when I didn't get this. First, as a a young 18-ish, I was invited to come as a leader on a sailing camp as one of the helmsmen. Because it was a residential, we slept in the dorms. Now, on the first night, not knowing the young people in the room next to me, I was horrified to hear the sound that no one ever wants to hear at a youth residential. Some of you are ahead of me on this one. As someone threw up on the first night... Now, I lay there, and I still remember this quite vividly, thinking, I really don't want to be the one who has to go and sort this out, but I think I need to. And I thought of all the things that this person's probably done wrong. Well, if they felt sick, why on earth are they on the top bunk? (laughs) Yep. Why why didn't they make it to the bin? Why, why, why? And I realize, after time, and I mean a long time, all of those reactions weren't loving. All of those hadn't grasped that actually this person, particularly in this time of need, needs to know that the people around them are loving them, are affirming them, are willing to clean up after them and make sure they are safe and okay. A few years later, beyond this, while I was living in Guildford, I used to be part of a team. Uh, Every first Maybank holiday, we would work with the local council. We would get volunteers from the local churches, and we would go to the areas of the most need in Guildford, and we would tidy gardens. We would paint houses. We would make sure that the church was seen looking after the community. And one of the times we turned up at a house, it was on my patch, Uh, the council said, we can't go in there. They called me and said, look, you can't do this. This is now a biohazard waste site. What on earth do you mean? So, okay, all the things that we found there, we can't touch it. We have to get some specialists in. Okay, what do you mean then? I went there to find out. And there was this gigantic pool-like thing. It was about that tall, and it was full of rubbish. But not just rubbish. Um, We found some dead animals in there. We found animal feces in there. We found nappies and human excrement in there. Now, I was of the mind of, I'm not going anywhere near that, and no one else should. Someone challenged me on my reaction to that. And I saw the kids who were living there. They don't know my name. I don't know their name. But me and one other person ended up not just pulling stuff out of it, but literally knee-deep in it as we sought to serve and make sure this family were loved by God. As it happened, when we had our team debrief afterwards, I had to stand outside and speak to everyone through the window because I smelt that bad. I've got one more example before I wrap up. And this isn't from me. There's a very well-known, I think David Rowe used to use this a lot, 
very well-known story in Les Miserables, the character Jean Valjean. If you're familiar with the story, you know that Jean Valjean starts the story as a convict and is really angry and bitter about this. And he is taken in by a priest who gives him food, takes care of him, makes sure he's safe. And Jean Valjean nicks all his silverware in response and legs it. And he's brought back to the priest. And the priest does something absolutely amazing. When he's brought back, the priest says, my friend, you left so early. Did you forget to take these two? Would you leave the best behind? And he gives these beautiful silver candlesticks and says, this is a gift. You need to go and rebuild your life. It was not deserved. It showed complete devotion. And it showed someone that they were loved. Jean Valjean then goes and accepts this and begins to change his life. Now, here's the reason I share this. In the film version with Hugh Jackman, there is a fantastic bit of casting. Because the the first person to play Jean Valjean was called Colm Wilkinson. And they cast him in that film as the priest. The purpose being that he was passing on the mantle. Now, in terms of where I'm going with this, when we experience the love of God, when we grasp that graciousness that we are given, that we don't deserve. As Jesus points out to his disciples, you are to do this too. This isn't for you to just keep to yourself and enjoy your comfortable life. This is for you to go out and show the love of God to people practically. I love that bit of casting because in doing so, you've got someone who played the role, who's been shown that grace and goes and shows it to someone else that they too will go on living out a life that is given them, that is paid for by someone else. In the text this evening, we've had different reactions to real love. And I don't mean real love in that worldly sense. I mean real life real love in the true sense of the love of God. It is undeserved, and yet we're given it freely. We know people reject it. We know people don't understand it. But it's not something that should only be seen in this building or in this church. It needs to be seen everywhere we go, in our local communities, in our places of work, in our universities, in our streets, supermarkets, car parks. I could go on. It is an everyday coming back to understanding how has my life changed as a response to the love that I have been shown. That we don't go and humbly take off our outer garments, take on the role of a servant and wash someone's feet out of a sense of need to do so to show off or a sense of obligation but instead we do so as a humble response to the love that we're shown. I know someone who summarized the role of the church as this, love God, love others. And he says it's very simple, it's just really hard to do. Over this next week, we need to pray about how we are showing God's love to people. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we thank you for the example you gave us that in the time of preparation for the disciples and you leaving them, you got down and did what was unexpected. You humbly showed your love to them that they too would do as you have done. Lord, we come before you this evening and we pray that for ourselves, that we too would do as you have done. And that by the power of your spirit, you would show us the areas that we need to change in our hearts and the places where your love needs to be shown in our day-to-day lives.